This episode of Crosscut Escapes is presented by Forterra, land for good. If you're trying to find salmon to eat that might be swimming 100 meters below you, like a whole football field down underwater, you can't see them. And so the only way to find them is with sound. Welcome to Crosscut Escapes. I'm your host, Ted Alvarez, and I want to show you something. Here on the shores of Puget Sound, the soundtrack is mostly peaceful. There's the lapping of gentle waves, the sighing of the breeze, maybe the odd seagull cry or a boat horn rippling across the sea. But underwater, it's a very different story. Down here, it's a cacophonous symphony of noise coming from all directions. Some of it comes from wildlife, like whales or porpoises. Some of it comes from natural processes, like bubbles or even lightning. Plenty of it comes from us, fairies, speedboats, even the sounds of pile driving from construction back on shore. In fact, the density of water means these sounds travel more than four times faster and maintain intensity for longer, with visibility in Puget Sound rarely reaching more than 30 feet in the daytime in ideal conditions. This dark world is almost entirely defined by sound. And in the ocean, sound has one undisputed master. It's killer whales. They are keystone predators in most marine ecosystems. And part of the reason they're so good at hunting and being at the very top of the food chain is that they use sound and sound is um, much more useful than light when you're, you're hunting underwater. This is Scott Veers. He's been listening to killer whales for years. I'm an oceanographer who's turned into a marine biologist because killer whales make such cool sounds underwater. The coordinator of something called the Orca Sound Hydrophone Network, which puts underwater microphones in the habitat of killer whales so that we can all listen to them when they come into our region and also listen to what their underwater environment sounds like. Most of us in Washington are familiar with our southern resident killer whales, 73 or so orcas that live in the Salish Sea between here and southern British Columbia. They're probably the biggest wildlife celebrities we have, and they're closely watched by locals and people around the world. We hang on to their every move, every death, every newborn that shifts their chances of survival one way or the other. But while other killer whales might eat a variety of foods, seals, many species of fish, even sharks or other whales, our southern residents are defined by their dependence on one very specific kind of food, Chinook salmon. It's the largest and fattiest salmon species and the most endangered. We'll get to that in a little bit, but first, it's worth appreciating just how these 20-foot-long, 8,000-pound hunters catch their much tinier prey. If you're trying to find salmon 
to eat that might be swimming 100 meters below you, like a whole football field down underwater, you can't see them. And so the only way to find them is with sound. And so not only do they coordinate their hunt, by vocalizing to each other or whistling. But they do this incredible thing that other tooth whales do. They, they make a sound inside their head. It comes out of their forehead as a beam, like a flashlight. And then they listen very carefully for the faint echoes of that echolocation pulse or click off of a fish. And the thing that's causing the reflection inside the fish is a tiny little swim bladder. It's a little air pocket that might be the size of a softball if it's a big Chinook salmon. And so they, they can hear this, their sound of their click bounce off of that fish 100 meters away, even though the object is only the size of a softball. It's incredible. But orcas do much more with their calls than just hunt. As scientists like Scott listen more and more to them, we're realizing orcas in general have a rich language all their own. It's so advanced that the three individual pods within the southern resident killer whale population, nicknamed J, K, and L pods, each have their own signature sounds they use to recognize each other. Those sounds, in turn, are distinct from transient killer whales who come in from the open ocean to hunt the sea mammals in our region. They have a dialect. It's analogous to a dialect in, in a human language. Basically, there's about 25 different sounds that Southern residents make that we hear as distinct calls. It makes them unique from other types of killer whales around the globe and in the region. So the calls that the Southern resident fish-eating killer whales make is totally distinct from the calls that Northern resident fish-eating killer whales make. And it's also different from the sounds made by killer whales that come to eat marine mammals around Seattle and Puget Sound. So just by listening to the calls they're making, you can tell which type of killer whale they are and even which pod, based on the family groups within this type of killer whale, have their own favorite calls that the other ones don't use very much. If you learn to recognize those three calls, you can infer which pod you're hearing. J-Pod has this sort of honking sound. It goes up and down a little bit. And S-19 is an upward whistle. And that's made more commonly by L-Pod. And the K-Pod's interesting. Almost everybody who hears it says, oh, that sounds like a kitten. So it's nice. They're, they're slightly different from each other. It's most people, even elementary school kids, can learn to recognize those three as distinct. The sheer range of sounds orcas can make is incredible. And while we can't decipher exactly what it all means just yet, sometimes it sounds like they're talking to us in our language. That sounds like, oh well darn, to me. Figaro. Between all the individual dialects, some orca sounds are universal, or at least they would be recognizable to orcas everywhere from Antarctica to Alaska. There was a study where they listened to calls from all types of killer whales all around the planet, and they noticed that one call, no matter geographically where the killer whales were living or what they were specializing in, sounded similar. I call it the squeaky balloon. That's known in the literature as an excitement call. And it turned out that all around the planet, that's a common call. And so if we're looking for an analogy in, in human vocalization, it, it might be laughter. You know, no matter what human culture you're listening to, the laughter sounds similar. So when we hear that, we often associate it with being excited, something exciting happening. Other than that, 
the excitement call, we have no idea what any of these calls means. And we're just getting to the point where artificial intelligence and modern computational tools are helping us see these patterns. I, I expect we'll see more patterns, but part of the problem is that when you're listening to a single microphone underwater, it's like listening with one ear in a crowded cafe. You can't really figure out who's saying what. These whales are making most of their calls underwater. 90% of the time, they're not visible to us. So we don't know where they are relative to each other as we're listening. So it's very difficult to tease apart the context, the behavior, when you hear a particular sound. So someday we may be able to have underwater cameras, multiple hydrophones that let us just say, oh, that was that call was made by the calf. And then this call was made by its mother. And then we may be able to get the spatial and behavioral context to tease apart what each of those signals means. We'll be back with more about what all those sounds from the deep might mean after a few words from our sponsor. It takes work to sustain a place for all of us. For over 30 years, Forterra has been doing that work, taking action to promote resilient communities and healthy ecosystems across our region. From planting thousands of trees each year to developing attainable housing to helping conserve over 250,000 acres of land, the Washington-based Land Trust has built programs and partnerships to advance conservation, restoration, and community resiliency across the state. For more information, go to Forterra.org. That's F-O-R-T-E-R-R-A dot org. Okay, back to the show. Though we may not yet understand precisely what killer whales are saying, you can tune in to one of Orca Sound's hydrophones, which are streaming 24-7 at orcasound.net. If you do it enough, you'll probably learn to identify which orca pod is passing by. But more often than not, you'll hear us in our many noisy forms. This is bad news for our southern resident orcas, who are chasing after dwindling supplies of salmon in their dark world and finding it harder and harder to do so with all the ruckus humans make. If you raise the noise levels around a killer whale that's trying to forage or hunt, you make it more difficult for them to hear the faint echoes of their echolocation clicks off of a salmon. And so our modeling suggests that when Killer whales are trying to echolocate in the presence of ship noise. They're losing something like 90% of their foraging um, efficiency. So it basically, it's like you're looking for food out in the forest at night with a flashlight and somebody has made it really smoky around you. So you, your flashlight beam doesn't go nearly as far into the forest. It's going like one foot instead of 100 feet or 10 feet instead of 100 feet. So that's the level of impact is 90% of their opportunities to find fish are taken away for that half an hour or 45 minutes that the ship is going by. The echolocation is the main way they find the fish, but then there's coordinating the hunt, like deciding who's going to do the deep dive and go down a football field underwater to find this thing in the darkness. And then there's the well-documented that they share food just like we do within our family groups. And so being able to communicate that you have caught a fish and, and that you're bringing it to the surface and everybody in your matcher line or a family group should come over to get a piece of it. That's also part of the efficient foraging strategy that they're using. Here's the part where we're supposed to beat you over the head with the sad news that our salmon are in steep decline, and the fate of southern resident orcas is in large part tied to our ability to rescue those populations, all of which is true and a very tall order. It could involve everything from expanded hatchery operations to dam removals. It could take decades, and it's not clear the orcas have that much time. But I'm not going to focus on that, because when it comes to noise pollution, we can do something about that right now. 
and we are. The good news about noise pollution in the orca's habitat is that, unlike many types of chemical pollution, as soon as you quiet the source, the pollution goes away. Thanks to the Southern Resident Killer Whale Task Force that Governor Inslee initiated, a bunch of recommendations came out end of 2018, something like 35 recommendations for how to improve the, the plight of the Southern Residents, and many of them had to do with noise. There were recommendations to reduce vessel disturbance. That's manifest, so that can be boats or ships. On the ship side, there's a recommendation to quiet ferries, Washington State ferries, and obviously is something that Governor Inslee can get a lot of traction on. So I'm excited that we're starting to retrofit ferries with electric motors instead of inline diesel engines. And that has the potential to reduce some of the low frequency noise that we're talking about. The Navy is is the biggest employer here in Washington state, and they are experts in how to quiet ships. So we have all the resources we need and probably a bunch of economic opportunity to quiet commercial ships of all types, whether they're container ships or oil tankers and bulk carriers are the most common types of ships in our waters. But it's not just commercial ships that pose a risk to orcas. Recreational motorboats have an equivalent impact when they go too fast, too close to whales. We're in the process of integrating those visual and acoustic detections into a system that can inform all kinds of mitigation for killer whales, whether it's helping Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife get out on the water to enforce those speed limits, or helping the Canadians slow down the commercial vessels. All of that is stuff that can be supported by you listening for whales and letting us know when you hear them. In fact, you can help orcas by just putting your ear to the water and listening for them, or joining one of the many sighting networks that exist. Scott points out that we all have a part to play to actively nudge them into a better future. Trying to decode their clicks and whistles might help us make better decisions on land. In the meantime, here's hoping humans can learn how to shut up a little bit more at sea so that killer whales can reclaim their rightful place as masters of sound. As you're listening to them, you have this privilege of listening to this wonderful natural phenomenon, or as you're on a bluff watching the whales go by, trying to make it easier for you to take action to help them with the other non-acoustic impacts. Mostly we need to all focus on how to get more salmon into their mouths. So helping Chinook salmon, their favorite kind of fish, recover in all of Washington's rivers, as well as in Canada, Alaska, Washington and California, that's the full range over which they seek salmon. And so I'm hoping that all these apps and technologies can bring us together so that we can solve these issues that are, go well beyond Washington State. It's an exciting time to, to listen for whales. That's it for this week's episode. Many thanks to Scott Veers and Orca Sound, who contributed the sound recordings used in this episode. You can learn more and listen for whales live at orcasound.net. The episode was engineered by Carolyn Smith. Music and additional recording by The Explorist. You can subscribe to Crosscut Escapes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more on Crosscut Escapes, go to crosscut.com forward slash escapes. And if you like the show, please review us. It helps other people find us. Crosscut Escapes is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Ted Alvarez, and we'll be back with another episode next week. Music